and welcome back to Nature Boost. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation. We are in the middle of summer, which is crazy because it just feels like a few weeks ago that I had my winter coat on. It's weird. But I thought it would be really fun to do an episode on common questions that we receive in the summertime from the public. I have mentioned in the past that uh, another part of my job is I help manage MDC social media pages. So we field a lot of questions from you guys on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages. But on the flip side, I wanted to invite someone here to talk about the questions that MDC gets from the public in person. And here with me is my good friend, Sarah Easton. She is a naturalist at Runge Nature Center here in Jefferson City. And I'm so happy to have her join me today to answer some common questions that we get from you guys in the summertime. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me today. Absolutely. I'm I'm excited. I feel so honored and... (laughs) such a, an honor for me to, to join you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. And I think um, this could be a cool thing that we could continue to do maybe through the seasons, you yeah, know, absolutely. As, as the year goes on, common things that uh, common questions and concerns that people have. So we're in the summertime. I want to talk about birds first because everybody, everybody loves birds and a common question that we receive, and I'm sure that you get at Runge Nature Center from visitors is, hey, what happened to insert bird here? <laughs> you know, where where are they? Where are they gone? And this time of year, uh, hummingbirds, you know, people will say, oh, I used to have a lot of hummingbirds last year, but now I don't have any anymore. What happened to them? Yeah, absolutely. We get that, get that question all the time, um, especially early in the summer. Early in the summer, you know, think about what are they, what are they eating? They're going for nectar. Early in the summer, a lot of that stuff is still blooming. They have plenty of food sources, natural food sources, right? So we don't see them as much at feeders early in the summer. Now, as we get later in the summer and those like midsummer blooms are starting to die off, they're going to be frequenting your feeders a little bit more because they have less natural options available. So usually we see a spike in those hummingbirds later in the summer. They're also kind of gearing up to, to migrate as well. So they need a lot of extra energy. Okay, so on the topic of hummingbirds, this has been a big question is the food coloring in the feeder, mm-hmm. you know, is red food coloring bad? Is is it okay to use? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I would say at the least end of things, it's unnecessary and unnatural. At the the other end of the spectrum, you know, it it, it could be dangerous and cause disease in the hummingbirds. And and we don't really know for sure where it falls on that spectrum. Um, there's been really minimal amounts of actual scientific research on scientific dyes in hummingbirds, um, but there is enough anecdotal evidence to, to recommend against it. So we strongly recommend not using any type of hummingbird food that has that red dye 40 in it. Like I said, you might be causing problems and diseases in the hummingbirds, but even if it's not, it's unnecessary. They don't need it. Just having that red, usually any feeder that you're using has enough red on it to attract the hummingbird. The dye doesn't, or the, the nectar, the, the juice, the, right, sugar, the yeah. sugar water inside right. doesn't need to be red as well. So it's totally unnecessary. And just another unnatural thing that we're introducing into their 
diet. So Mm -hmm. if it's unnecessary, why do we need to keep doing it? That's true. Yeah, Most hummingbird feeders already have some type of red coloring on Mm -hmm. them anyway. So yeah, that should be enough to, to get them to the feeder. If you'd like to stop buying the the nectar in the store, what's a good recipe for making your own hummingbird? Yeah, so actually it it is not only can you make it at home so it doesn't have that red dye, but it's also a lot cheaper. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean that commercial dye, you know, you might be several dollars for a gallon. Um, you can make it at home for almost pennies to a gallon. Um, I make mine at home with just a four to one ratio, so four cups of water to one cup of sugar. There also used to be, you know, evidence that you should boil it into the water and stuff like that. Honestly, they're saying you don't really need to do that anymore. And I I don't either. I just use hot water from the faucet and mix my sugar and water and mix it up really good. And that's all I do. Really? Yeah. You don't even need to boil it? No, no. Oh, nice. Hot enough. Hot enough to Hot enough water. Yeah. To dissolve it. But no, not not totally necessary to boil it. Is there a way to keep it in the fridge for a while? Yeah, it'll keep for um, a couple like a couple days. <laughs> yeah, because I've I've tried to do it. Um, I have found that it does not keep as long as I thought it would. <laughs> no, and I'm sure uh, you know probably the homemade recipes were, are not keeping as long as the commercial stuff. You can probably keep that commercial stuff in your fridge for a lot longer probably That's because true. it has some mm-hmm. <laughs> unnatural things in there right, some preservatives um, and yeah but like I said it's it's pretty cheap to just mix up that four to one ratio and I do that about about once a week the other I mean important part that I I can't <laughs> can't move on from bird feeders without mentioning um, is that if you're going to have bird feeders out whether it be you know hoppers normal seed feeders or hummingbird feeders or anything like that Please clean them. Please make sure they're clean. You know, every every week or couple weeks, taking them down, making sure they're clean. That is, you know, anytime we have a lot of birds coming to one point, mm-hmm. um, they can be spreading diseases and bacteria and things like that. So we want to be, you know, I assume that you have a bird feeder out because you want to be helping the birds. So helping them instead of hurting them and keeping the feeder clean is, is the way to do that kind of do a spot cleaning mm-hmm. maybe every other uh, every other week or so or depending on how frequently your feeders are being used but I definitely would at least take it down and and actually clean it with some mild soapy water every once in a while just like I said I mean because if you're if you're doing that you don't want to have the opposite effect. <laughs> That's true. And another thing is, too, is that uh, not to be gross, but a lot of birds, I have like a shepherd's hook with two mm-hmm. bird feeders and they'll perch on top and then, you know, they'll do their business right on the yeah. feeder. So it's a full service, <laughs> full service place. Yeah. So that's a um, you want to you know, you don't want them to be eating that yeah. off of there. So good point to bring up. OK, so. While we're on the topic of birds, this coincides with our message of leaving wildlife wild. Sometimes birds make nests in not the best places. (laughs) I've had friends and family members who uh, have gotten nests made uh, like on the they have wreaths on their front doors and they're like, yeah, there's like a nest in there now. Uh, You know, what do I do? Can I move it? Can I not move it? What can you tell us? Some give us some guidance on some of that. Yeah. So um, two things I when I, you know, first heard you mention this question, I thought of right off the bat. The first one I think is really important to consider that a lot of people don't really know or don't think about is that um, birds don't use nests 
like homes like we do. Um, they, they're they not returning to that nest every night. It's not like they're coming home and tucking, tucking themselves into bed, <laughs> into their nest. They're really only using nests during the breeding season. I mention that because if you have a bird that's nesting in your you know, on your deck or in your porch or somewhere that's inconvenient, he probably, or she, I probably should say she, mm-hmm. um, she or they won't be there for very long. You know, they'll, they'll be there for the breeding season and then they'll vacate that nest once their eggs have hatched and their their babies have fledged. The, they won't be back to that nest. So if at all possible, I would encourage you just to wait, just to be a little bit patient and, and let them get through that breeding season. Once they've vacated, um, once the babies have fledged and left the nest, you can take it down, remove it. That's not going to bother them at all. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that because most birds, with the exception of of our game birds and things like that, all all of our songbirds are federally protected. So it actually is illegal. Right. Kind of uh, against the law. Against the law to... to move really to to move those nests or harass harass those birds in, in that way. Now obviously there there are exceptions and if that bird is is a threat or or something like that, um, you know, there there are exceptions for that. But I would argue that, you know, just being a little inconvenient for you is is not really considered a threat. So just bringing that back to, to that first point, if at all possible, you know, just just let them get through. Let right. them get through what they need to get through in their breeding season and and they'll they will be gone shortly after. And to me, whenever that happens, while yes, like you say, inconvenient, it's also kind of special. Oh yeah. That you're getting like <laughs> Have you seen a baby bird? It's so ugly, it's cute. <laughs> so true. <laughs> they are so ugly, but their ugliness is what makes them cute. Oh, yeah. yeah. The big beak and when they open their mouth because they think they're getting food and it's just the whole size of their head. It is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you kind of get to witness this special moment firsthand. I realize that, oh, it's on my front door. Or, oh, it's on my porch light. You know, they're pooping and it's like, oh, but it's only for a short period of time. And this is kind of cool that you're able to watch this kind of life cycle, you yeah. know, a little bit. How honored that they felt comfortable enough to build a nest at your house. <laughs> that is such a good way to look at it. I love that. Like, you should be flattered. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is such, oh, that's beautiful, Sarah. No, but it's it's a cool experience. I, I remember, um, I think just last year, my parents had nests built under their deck. Their deck, you know, was on a, on a second story and built under their deck so they could actually look through the slats of their deck right into the nest. Oh. And and they just, you know, my dad would text me updates every day. <laughs> like, oh, they're, so, they're this big now. Um, so it is it is a cool experience. And, and like I said, they won't they won't be there for for very long. Most especially songbirds have have a very quick turn around if if you can be a little patient and just accept that that's a way that that we are going to live with nature right i think one thing that we all have to focus on and change as a culture is is how we're going to continue to live with nature and letting a bird nest on your porch might be the first step oh <laughs> yes i love that what that's a beautiful message yeah. i yeah absolutely i totally agree a big big thing spring summer and really this could be all year round too is i found an abandoned animal an injured animal. I want to help. What do I do? I, I want to give a shout out to human beings because we all have like that soft spot for 
animals, especially young animals. This episode will air in mid-July. Usually you find the more young animals in like the, the spring and, and everything. But this is a good message for, for all time of year, especially if you think that you found an injured animal or you want to help. We want to bring them into our homes and we, we want to be there for them, but we could be doing, a lot of times we're doing more harm than good. So Let's talk about that. And I know that you get this a lot at Runge, too. And I'm sure... Number one question, I I would say. You think so? Oh, probably. I mean, I haven't run the statistics, but (laughs) I would say, yeah, this is probably our, our number one phone call for sure is, especially in the spring, like you said, um, you know, I found a baby bird. I found a baby rabbit. I found a baby um, deer. You know, a fawn is in my yard. And we so much appreciate those people that call and ask us, you know, because for us, it's like, hey, they're, they they care. They care. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and as we'll get to here in a minute, you know, we might not always give them the answer that they want to hear or that they like, but we will never be upset for someone calling and asking because we, we would rather you care and call and ask and be curious than, and learn. than just, yeah. you know, ignore it right, <laughs> and, right. and go on because then that yeah might be different kind of problem. People who aren't even paying attention to the natural world around them. So so I did want to make that note before we got too much further into this question um, because we appreciate that you care. However... <laughs> Side. With yes. that being said, um, I will tell you, if you give us a call, probably the answer you will get is that we will encourage you to leave it be. There are obviously exceptions, and, and we can kind of talk a little bit about that, but more often than not, the best thing that we can do for that animal is to not interfere with it and, and to leave it alone. Partly because a lot of times we're not even sure that it needs our help. Right. <laughs> um, and that's and that's one thing that's kind of hard for us to determine over the phone when we're talking to someone and they say, oh, you know, I found I found a baby rabbit. Well, actually, rabbits are fine on their own. Like after after four weeks, you know, like they might only be four to five inches long. But mom is out of there. She's she's gone. That rabbit is on its own. So to us, we see this tiny little baby rabbit. and He's so cute. But he's doing exactly what he is supposed to to be doing. Or, you know, a fawn. That's the other one we get Mm -hmm. calls about a lot, you know, and I can understand from a human perspective, you know, a human parenting, we're like, hey, where's your mom? But the way that deer are programmed, the doe will leave the fawn for pretty much the whole day. She'll she'll find a nice place for him, sit him down, tell him to stay tight. Mm -hmm. And she will leave for pretty much the whole day. That fawn will stay in that one spot until she comes back. And so people think, you know, oh, I see this fawn in my yard and it's abandoned. Well, no, it's not. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the first thing we try to assess is like, hey, does it even actually need help or is it doing what it needs to do? Right. It's just living its life. And yeah, it, it's yeah, it's doing its thing. Yeah. Right. Right. But of course, there are instances where there is an animal that is probably not going to make it or or something like that and we do have to have kind of that difficult conversation for some people about about nature being nature you know and it's it's not pretty like you said you know we have big hearts and especially soft spots for animals but that's happening and it's an important part of of our ecosystem it's keeping a balance you know in nature nature is doing a perfectly good job of that without us interfering so sometimes we just we have to let that that happen. That's the reality of it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. that's that's just that's that's 
that is how nature has survived. And not to sound insensitive, but when one animal passes, that means it's it can be food for, an, a, you know, another animal. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's happening all the time mm-hmm. around us. It's You're just, just seeing it now. Might, yeah, yeah. It might not be happening in your in your front yard until right now. Um, so that, you know, I think that's something we have to consider is like that. That's what's making the, the natural world go round. Um, we're just seeing it in this one, one instance. We do have wildlife rehabbers across the state. When people call you, when do you recommend contacting a a wildlife rehab facility? So when we are talking to someone and we determine, you know, that 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 animal does need assistance, maybe an inconvenient place or, or needs some type of human intervention, we do have wildlife rehabbers um, around the state, I would strongly suggest you call um, a, a nature center or an MDC office. Um, we actually keep a updated list of all of those rehabbers across the state um, that's accessible through through our internal web pages. So we can, we anyone can access that from an MDC office or something like that. Um, but I, I just mentioned that because those rehabbers do have to have special permits. You can't, not not anyone can just really take in, you know, baby animals and, and things like that. Um, so that that list is constantly being updated by our, our permits division and making sure that, that those rehabbers are staying up to date on their stuff. Um, so that's, that's why I mentioned, you know, call a nature center or an MDC office or something like that. And we can find a licensed rehabber in in your area and get you their their contact from that point the right professional people who have the experience who have those permits who know what right. they're doing exactly exactly i mean that can be a full-time job in and of itself like that is a big venture to go down that road big and, responsibility oh yeah absolutely um in time and money and and resources so like i said we are not all equipped to, to do that. Um, and that's kind of more from a human perspective. But think about that animal. You know what? That animal is not not meant to be in your home. <laughs> it's a wild animal. Um, it has wild instincts. Yeah. And it can carry disease. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. You know, and you're kind of bringing that into your home. You don't want that in your home. It, yeah, it's cute. But the main message, leave it to the professionals. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that all of our uh, offices and nature centers have that updated list of those rehab facilities that we can direct you to that are professionals and mm-hmm. that have that have that experience. Yeah. So that's good information to share. So just enjoy. Enjoy the sighting is the message. And t- you can take your pictures and videos. But that's like you say, that's where it should end. All right. So getting back to some of our other popular questions and concerns while we're talking about wildlife and the wildlife sightings and we don't want to interfere. This is a big, a big topic, <laughs> a big animal. I know where you're going. Yes, you do. We I, And I think it's important to talk about the black bears. We are seeing our black bear population is expanding. It's increasing and then their range is expanding too and we're getting so many sightings in more populated areas and I'm sure as their numbers increase these sightings will increase too oh yeah absolutely absolutely 
I do want to put that in perspective, though, um, because we hear it on the news and hits the news cycle for a while. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's black bears everywhere. Um, We're estimating about 950 black bears, I think, in the state. Put that in perspective, you know, 950 black bears across the whole state of Missouri. What what if that was 950 people? That's true. <laughs> that wouldn't, it wouldn't seem like very much. While sightings are increasing, that number is still relatively low. It's growing steadily and at a healthy rate. There are bear biologists are estimating that the population is growing about nine percent a year. So we do have a, a healthy that is con, you know considered a healthy rate of growth. So like you said, they probably will continue to wander into our areas. And that kind of goes back to to what we touched on earlier. You know, how do we live with wildlife in the same space? Mm-hmm. A lot of those bears that we're seeing that that are getting sighted are young males just looking for their own space. More often than not, they are just moving through. If you don't harass them or give them a, a reason to, to stop and bother you, they're harmless. However, bears, black bears, um, the bears that we have here in Missouri, are also very, very opportunistic feeders. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will eat anything. <laughs> so, so that's what that means by opportunistic. They're going to take any opportunity to eat. They're not picky. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, in the wild, they eat a range of things. You know, they do eat sources of meat and stuff like that, but they eat fruits and nuts and insects and plants. So in the wild, they're still still very opportunistic in the wild. Mm-hmm. But then we introduce like yummy candy wrappers and bird food and right. stuff like that. Discarded and, hot dogs. Right. Or, they're yeah. like, it's it's a yeah smorgasbord. The problem comes when you know those young males are moving through, looking to establish their own territory, and on their way through, they see an open trash can mm-hmm. or something like that, and then they don't have a reason to keep moving on because they're like, "Hey, why would I go anywhere else? This has everything I need." And that's when you know we we start to see them a lot of times. If if one is sighted in an urban or suburban area. People will keep citing it for the next several days because, like I said, he doesn't really have a reason to to move on. Whenever they find that human food, they'll start to associate humans with food, and then that just kind of exacerbates the problem. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's 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 a little harsh, but there is a saying that a fed bear is a dead bear. Right. Not only is that in reference to then their forgetting, you know, their natural sources of food, but also it has to do with bears that are associating humans with food can become more aggressive. And and that's when we see problems is, is when a bear is associating humans with food and then, you know, getting into trash and, and getting into your stuff. Right. Or even house. trying to come into your home right. or your garage. And, yeah. and then, then that bear has to be it down. Dispatched. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so fed bear is a dead bear in a couple different ways. <laughs> you know, all that being said, um, they are for the most part harmless unless it is finding those sources of food. And and to combat that, we really just tell people if you if you know you're in bear country or if there's been a bear sighted in your area, maybe take your bird feeders in mm-hmm. for a little while yeah. until the until the you know sightings have died down, the bear has passed. Pick up, like, pet food and stuff like that. Don't leave your dog's food out at night. Secure your trash, things like that, just to 
minimize opportunities that he or she could be finding food at your house. Absolutely. Yeah. And you say bear country. Where exactly <laughs> is bear country in Missouri? So I, I was thinking about this because on, you know, I'll, I'll repost stuff that the MDC posts, posts on my on my personal Facebook and try to remind my friends and family like, hey, Missouri, Missouri is bear country. And I, right. I'll, I'll always say that. I'll say Missouri is bear country. Well, I have a friend who went to Missouri State uh-huh. um, who always takes the opportunity to give me a jab because <laughs> I went to Mizzou. Oh. And he goes, oh, so Missouri is bear country because they are because Missouri they're the State bears. the bears. And yeah. I was like, no, not what I meant. But um, no, no, I... I, in in a very serious sense, really all of Missouri can be bear country. You know, it's not to say that bears can't be found in northern Missouri. Primarily, our population of, of bears are in the southern part of the state, mostly below I-44-ish. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned earlier, they are expanding and they're moving northward. As that population is growing and we're getting more young males, they're looking to establish their own territories. And a lot of times that means... Moving, moving north a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not unreasonable to see a bear north of I-44. Really in that, that southern part of the state is, is where the bulk of the population is. And a, a big thing that we get on social media, and, I, and I'm sure that you've gotten this too, MDC did not introduce bears to Missouri. <laughs> People think that, like, we released the bears. The bears were already here. They were almost extirpated from from the state years ago from the logging industry and then also from unregulated hunting. But their numbers have increased since then. And then even bears from Arkansas have kind of migrated up. So MDC did not reintroduce bears to Missouri. Yeah. Yep. Um, absolutely true. Yeah, there definitely was kind of remnant populations. Arkansas did reintroduce bears. So so that is part of part of our population boom has has been from the Arkansas boom. And, you know, we talked about them coming northward while they, you know, think about what's to our south, Arkansas. So um, their growing population has expanded in, into our southern southern part of the state as well. So that has has part to do with it. And then we have also been paying a lot more attention and doing studies and and research on these bears. So we have a lot, you know, better idea of the actual population estimates and things like that. Whereas before that wasn't true. We started kind of a long-term population study in I think like 2010. So paying a lot more attention to the overall population now, um, even to the point where we have a hunting season. So Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Magnificent animals. So cool. They are so cool. And it's cool that we get the chance to see them here in Missouri. And uh, again, but good to note about, you know, a fed bear is a dead bear. Lock up all your food. Yeah. um, You don't want those human encounters, you know, if possible. And, you know, another thing we think about bears coming to us and coming to our house and getting in our stuff. And the, the flip side of that is, you know, when you're out camping or hiking in bear country, you know, or in that southern part of, of Missouri primarily, you know, how how can you be bear aware, as they call it? My, my note about that is that bears are very smart animals. They have a an amazing sense of smell and pretty good hearing. Most of the time, if you're just making your human amount of noise <laughs> and your human 
amount of scent, <laughs> that bear will be, you know, long gone before you even know, you know, before you even realize how close it was to you. But if you feel the need to take extra precautions, you know, hiking groups make more kind of excessive noise. I know um, my my boss always talked about he likes to sing when he's in bear country and he'll just sing as he hikes. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Loraff. He's also been on the podcast and immediately I knew who I was like, yeah. that sounds like Kevin. He just sings because he wants to serenade a bear, I guess. Um, Gosh, that guy's a national treasure. <laughs> so just just consider that as well. And um. I, I can't believe I have to say it, but based on our conversation earlier, um, if you do encounter a bear, please don't approach it. Yes. <laughs> please yes. do not approach it. Yeah. Would you say they're more afraid of us? They don't they don't necessarily want to be where we are. Oh no, absolutely not. And yeah. I and that's what I that's what I alluded to earlier. Like they they are gonna be long gone. Right. And, I mean if you if you do spot a bear, um Consider that kind of a, an honor, yeah. Because, yeah. like I said, they're pretty sneaky. They they know what they're doing, and and they're going to be out of there before before you're anywhere close. Enjoy the sighting, but again, let's let's leave it at that. Let's be smart about living with wildlife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, good to know. Good stuff to know about our black bears. Let's get into some more nitty-gritty stuff uh, with the summer. A big barrier. A lot of people don't like the summer because that's when, like, the itchy and scratchy stuff. We've got the ticks. We've got the mosquitoes. It's hot. It's humid. (laughs) There's bugs biting you. Nature's the worst. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like anything, there's some drawbacks. Absolutely. You've got the poison ivy. It's like you want to be outside, but you don't want to have to deal with that type of stuff. So how do I protect myself from the stuff that wants to bite me and suck on me and you know, make me itchy. Yeah. The ticks and the, all of that. What, yeah. What you got any tips that we can share? A couple, a couple. Um, first I would say, you know, don't, don't let that deter you from, from getting outside. I mean, I know that that can seem kind of annoying or, or scary even, but like that, that, that's such a minimal thing in the long run of, of getting out and enjoying all the resources we have, especially in the state of Missouri. So, so please don't let let that, you know, keep you from from getting outside. Um, but if you are concerned and worried um, for the the insect side of things, we, we kind of talk about the the four D's, like the Ooh. letter, like the letter D. So yeah. um, the first one being dress. So thinking not like you're wearing a dress, probably not the greatest idea to wear a dress outside, but think about what you are dressed in. Um, we really recommend like lightweight clothing. Um, not only does that keep you cool in the summer, um, but lightweight and light colored helps you see um, ticks and stuff on your pants a lot better. Oh, yeah. Um, so you can pick pick them off, get rid of them. Um, and then covering your exposed skin. So, you know, if you can wear long sleeves and long pants, um, another reason you want them to be lightweight. Right, right. Yeah, don't want to <laughs> um, overheat. Right, right. Uh, but covering those... Um, Expose areas of skin and then treating your your clothes with insect repellents. You can spray. The next D is for DEET, which is. Oh, um, OK. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so we'll, we'll talk about that more. But, um, you know, you can spray your clothes with insect repellent like DEET or you can actually treat 
your clothes. If you're outside a lot, um, you know, if you're working outside or doing something like that and you have field clothes that you wear, you can actually treat your clothes with permethrin, uh, which which is a, a repellent. Um, so consider, you know, consider what you're wearing. Um, and then the, the next D being DEET or any kind of insect repellent, right? We talk about DEET a lot because it, it does. That's the strong stuff. Right, that's, the, that's the good stuff. Um, <laughs> you can also use, there's a couple others, or if you want kind of a more natural option, lemon oil of like lemon and eucalyptus. I think I've heard that. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it has been proven to, to repel insects. So that is definitely an option for a more a natural um, approach. But applying those repellents, you know, to your to your skin and checking the label on that, making sure that you're using that appropriately. But so we got D for dress, D for deet, D for dawn and dusk. Just being a little bit more cognizant that, that dawn and dusk are usually high times for biting insects. <laughs> um, and why is that? Why um, is it those times of day well, that they're most popular? Well, you're going out in the summer. When would you want to go out? Yeah, that's true. Whenever it's <laughs> whenever it's hot. a little bit cooler, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, that makes sense. So it's a catch twenty two because that's yeah. when we like to be outside, but also when all the insects like to be outside. Gosh, um, they're smart. <laughs> Dang it! So lim- you know, limiting that outdoor time at dawn or dusk, or just just being more prepared, right? And then the the final D applies specifically to mosquitoes, but it is drain. Um, as in draining water. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Mosquitoes mm-hmm. breed in in standing water. So mm-hmm. draining any type of standing water that you have around your property, if that's a bird bath or, you know, you have a, a small puddle area of your yard that holds water. Or like a little kid's swimming pool or something <laughs> yep. that's been out there. Yeah. Yeah. Probably should dump, dump that one out. Yeah. You know, I will say if there's any positive to a drought... We are we are having less mosquitoes this year. That's something, yeah. I that's mean, the, yeah. I try to take a positive. Outlook. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so silver lining. Yeah, I mean that is true. We we there are less amounts of standing water around. So we, I mean, I'm noticing less mosquitoes this year. I, I don't. Maybe that's anecdotal, but yeah, um, yeah. I think I have too. Yeah. I think I think I think I have too. Yeah, and it probably it, it is directly related <laughs> to to the drought. Um, but if I want to keep a bird bath out, should I just dr- drain it at those times or only keep water in it like during the heat of the day or what, do, what would you uh, say? You know what I would actually tell you is to um, invest in some type of little water pump or something like that. Oh, I see. Um, and they actually have these cool ones. Um, I have it in my Amazon cart. I haven't ordered it yet. Oh, they- pull the trigger already. <laughs> they have these um, solar powered ones that kind of just float. It, I mean, it looks like a little plate, you know, maybe a oh, small sure. plate, and it has um, solar panels around the edge, and it just floats in your birdbath, and it kind of makes a small fountain. Um, one, that'll keep the water moving, so um, the mosquitoes don't don't breed in, in moving water. Oh, right, But right. also, uh, birds are much more attracted to, like, moving water, like the sound of running water and stuff like that will Double whammy. attract a lot of birds to your backyard. Yeah, so. and keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you've got to buy it. <laughs> And then send me the link so I can buy one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the four D's to right. kind of think about for for insects and mosquitoes. Um, dress, DEET or insect repellents, um, dusk and dawn, and then drain. 
The one other note I wanted to make about insects in particular is please don't use a bug zapper. Why? Oh, let me tell you. And I'm talking about, you know, the ones that have like the UV or black light kind of things. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Yeah. The lights lights come on to attract the bugs to it at night. Mostly because there have been studies that have shown that those actually trap and, and kill way more other insects than mosquitoes and a lot of a lot of native insects oh no um, native pollinators and things like that are actually getting attracted to that more so than than mosquitoes so you're actually killing the good ones rather than no it gets better it gets better wait continue oh but there have been studies that suggest you know say you're sitting out on your porch and you got your bug zapper going on the other end the mosquitoes, they come in because they're attracted to the light, which they're, that's what's supposed to be happening. But as they get close enough to you, they actually then pick up on your CO2 uh-huh. release and shift gears. And they're like, oh, I'm not going to that light anymore. I'm going over to this person. So you're actually attracting them to you. Rather than repelling them, <laughs> yeah. which is what you think you're doing. Right. So wow. I would, you know, strongly, it, strongly discourage the the light bug zapper. I'm, and I'm sorry, they're just not that pretty. Like, they're, they're not, <laughs> I wouldn't want that hanging on my house. Like, the light is just very glaring and uh, just very aggressive and... Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's, it's and bad for the insects. It's bad. For, and I didn't know that that makes me so sad that it's killing our good insects, our native ones. It's doing the complete opposite of what, yeah. of what we want it to do. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad Sounds that you mentioned like that. such a good idea, but. Not at all. Um, there is evidence that mosquitoes um, don't like a lot of like aromatic plants, you know, so like lavender and um, catnip and uh, thyme and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're. If, try it out plant some of those around your house and it'll smell good and and, and then possibly keep them away yeah. too so good to know yeah. oh i'm so happy that you told us about <laughs> that today okay so let's talk about poison ivy how can we protect ourselves from that because honestly i think i have some oh yeah girl, i'm have you got some ooh. too I um <laughs> riding that poison ivy train. Tell you what, That's, I got to give a shout out to my my coworker because my first shortly after coming to Runge, this this happened and and my coworker apparently is not very alert. You know, people have different reactions to it, That's right? True. And, yeah. And supposedly he is not allergic to it or you know not affected by the oils and and so he doesn't think about it very much when he goes outside. Look and him. I was just following him around. Oh no. Um, I had to go to urgent care because I had. Are you kidding? It, it was all over my body. Yeah, and so that's, oh, that's a running no. joke now. I'm like, don't follow him around. No. Well, now you know. <laughs> so I know. I'm speaking from personal experience for this question. Um, <laughs> the the best thing I can tell you and strongly recommend is just know what it looks like. Yes. Right. Yes. Know how to identify it. And um, it's a little tricky because it's kind of a, a tricky plant. It can come in a couple different forms. It can, you know, be like a small plant on the ground. It can be kind of a shrubby thing. It can be a vine. A vine up a tree. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there. it's not as easy as it seems. Um, but, you know, really, really try to familiarize yourself with it. And to that extent, there's a couple poor little plants that always get misidentified. If you're really interested in this and and wanting to 
better identify poison ivy. I would also encourage you to look up fragrant sumac, which gets misidentified as poison ivy very often because it has three leaves, mm-hmm. right? And we hear, oh, three leaves, let it be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> box elder, which is a, actually a tree, but, you know, when it's a small shrub, can look kind of confusing, also has three leaves. And then Virginia creeper, which has actually has five leaves, but is a is a vine, and so it gets misidentified a lot. Those three plants can be confused with poison ivy very easily. Okay. Now I would say if you really if you don't know, you know, and you're you're thinking, oh, maybe it's poison ivy, then just just, then just leave it alone. Right? Yeah. There's yeah. no reason to to get into it if if you're not sure. But you know, if you are really interested in in getting out more and and you want to know, I would kind of quiz yourself between those those different um, plants. Yes. So it's the sumac, the fragrant sumac, the box elder, and the Virginia creeper that commonly get mistaken for poison ivy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's, there might be others too, but those are the ones that we see a lot as commonly mistaken. I did also want to make a note on on poison oak because we hear about poison oak a lot. Do we even have poison oak in Missouri? Um, so there, there is eastern poison oak, which can be found in Missouri, but usually very, very southern Missouri, like down in, in the boot heel. And it usually grows on kind of like low nutrient, like rocky soils and stuff like that. So it's pretty limited to the to the south part of the state. We don't encounter it very much. So. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. All right. So the biggest thing with poison ivy is just being able to identify it. And then like you say, I would assume weary if you're if you know you're gonna be in the deep woods where you're probably gonna encounter encounter it more wearing and you're one of the unlucky people that are <laughs> allergic to it, like us, wearing pants and wash your hands and your clothes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so it, it's the oil from the plant that, that's irritating, right? That oil is present in, like, all parts of the plant. Um, so it's not just like, oh, you touched the leaf or something. It's or like the if, stem. Or, right. Yeah, it's you, everywhere. Anywhere in the plant. If you get that oil on you, the the most effective thing is to try to wash it off immediately, mm-hmm. you know, running running water and like a mild soap. If that's not possible, even like I've I've seen even in if you can wash it in like a, run, a running stream, you oh, know, if you're sure. by a small creek or something, um, dipping, you know, dipping your arm or leg in there or whatever can help wash the oil off. Usually they say if you if you're able to wash it off within about five minutes, supposedly you won't have a reaction. I mean, mm-hmm. that might be might be different for different people, but in general, um, if you can wash it off real quickly, you will have at least some less severe reaction. And then also to note, wash your clothes. It can that oil can stay on on the clothes for a long time. So if you put those same pants back on, uh, you're just re-exposing yourself. Right, and it can stay in there, and um, pre- it can be present on clothes for like months. After, yeah, can't I can't it? remember the exact, but it's quite a while. Yeah, it's like unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um, and something. So I want to tell you, I think I got poison ivy from my dog. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm actually surprised I didn't get it on my face because, like all dogs, you know going on adventures and being in the woods and, you know, chasing groundhogs and stuff. 
And I am always, like, all over my dog. You know, I'm <laughs> loving on my dog. Like, that's, you know, I'm a dog mom, you know. And then I'm, all, like, my face is always in his face. <laughs> oh. and, yeah, exactly. I love you. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, time to go mess with the dog. Like, I'm just, like, I'm always all over my dog. And so that's how I think I got poison ivy. Yeah, very, yeah, very real possibility. Yeah. Um, so just because you you may you may not have come in contact, it, contact with it directly doesn't mean, like, Touching someone who has it on their clothes or your dog, like it's, it's out there. Right. Yep. Yep. You can. Yeah. The dog can can have it on its fur. You can get it from dog fur and stuff like that. So, it, yeah. It's it's a rough. I mean, if you have a severe allergy to it, it's it's a rough one. I'm just so jealous of people who don't aren't well, and, allergic to and it. And what's interesting, I didn't learn this until I had my experience where I ended up in Going urgent to the care. Right. Um, you you can develop the allergy over time. Like I as a kid, I never remembered having poison ivy and I know I was in it. I mean I was outside all the time. Sure. So I didn't think but but over time, you know, especially as you become an adult, you you can develop a reaction to it. I have talked about this um, in a past episode with with your boss, with Kevin yeah, Laura. Okay. And <laughs> I even told him, I said, I used to know a girl who wasn't allergic and she actually made money doing like removing people's poison <laughs> ivy from their homes. And then she got allergic. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. But that would be ironic, wouldn't it? Um, but she had no reaction to poison ivy at yeah. all. So she really capitalized on that yeah. on that. Um, um, well, I skill. hope for her business sake. That uh, yeah, she I, I know. I know. I was like, man, that's a hustle for sure. Okay, so those are some um, flex. <laughs> exactly weird flex, but yeah, I like but, it. Okay. Like, but yeah, but okay. I would love to move on and kind of wrap things up with some fun ways to recreate in in the summertime. You know, we love summer because. The sun is shining, and there's so we're blessed to live in Missouri where there's so many opportunities to get out and enjoy nature. I would like to get your opinion. We get a lot of questions on, um, you know, where can I take my kids floating or fishing, or do I need a fishing permit? Or sometimes <laughs> these kids are driving me crazy. What can I do to get them out of my house? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, to answer that last question, I would say uh, check your local nature center because they always have programs going on. <laughs> that is so true. And I, actually, I want to give a shout out uh, to all of our education staff um, who put on these programs because you guys are like making such fun memories for kids and you're teaching them things and getting them excited to be outside and learn new stuff and all of the programs and again if you if anybody listening to this has not checked out their local nature center you need to because these programs are tailored for different ages of kids some are interactive teaching them about wildlife and about all these different fun activities and so shout out to all of our education staff you included Sarah yeah, you guys are doing you. great work so yes yeah and in caveat to that too even if you don't live super close to a nature center because I know you know they're kind of scattered around the state do still do check that um the web page you can you know under the public web page for MDC um there's a tab that says events um still check that even if you're not super close to a nature center we we do have other education staff who are located around the state who do programs at you know local parks and and things like that so even if it's not a nature center building there's still probably some type of education program going on this summer near you glad that you mentioned that okay so good plug for <laughs> got to get it in mdc there. <laughs> absolutely for mdc events so what do you think 
let's talk about fishing first. We always get, uh, we just had MDC free fishing days this past weekend. Fishing is such a big, uh, a popular activity to do in the summer. I have a question. Do kids need a fishing permit? Uh, well, it depends on what you consider a kid. Okay, <laughs> tell us. Uh, no, I, I mean, I'm a big kid. Yeah, but kid I still heart. need a fishing permit. Right. Um, so anyone under the age of 16 or over the age of 65 does not need a fishing permit. Okay. Um, with the exception of free fishing weekend, right. um, which you mentioned, which in that that weekend, which always happens the weekend after the first Monday in June. So we just <laughs> just passed. Um, but, you know, so you get it on the calendar for next year. No one needs a fishing permit that weekend. Mm-hmm. But all other times of the year, if you're under 16 or over 65, you do not need a fishing permit. If you fall between those two categories, you do need to purchase an annual fishing permit. And that does include, um, like, parents. If you are a parent and you are taking your 8-year-old son out to go fishing, that 8-year-old does not need a fishing permit. But if you, the parent, are going to be helping them at all and, like, even slightly going to touch that fishing pole... You do need to purchase a permit. Which, let's be honest, you will. <laughs> like, you, there's just no you other will. way. At, yeah. the, at the end, you'll be fishing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is you fishing. They're just yeah. sort of helping you. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. My dad loves to take my niece and nephew fishing. And ever since I started working at MDC, he just now assumes that I'm an expert in everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like what? And I'm sure you get that, too. Like, they just assume you're a conservation agent now yeah. and you oh, know yeah. everything. And do I need a fishing permit? And I'm like, well, technically you do because they're so young. But he's like, but I'm not going to be. And I'm like, yeah, but you kind of are fishing. Like, (laughs) let's just be realistic here. Well, I won't ask you if he's over 65. He is now, but he wasn't. Okay, well, there you go. I was going to say, if he's over 65, then he doesn't. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so he he can't. (laughs) It's so funny that you say that because the other day he told me, he goes, were you ever going to tell me that I don't need a fishing permit now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I guess you are over 65 now. Sorry, Surprise. Dad. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yes, that's a common thing people always get confused on. I also want to take a moment to shout out that, yeah, you can buy uh, permits. You can physically, but it's so easy whenever you have your phone. Well, and that was, um, I was going to answer the other part of your question. You know, there at the beginning, you said, you know, where do I take my kids fishing? Things like that. And um, again, as my naturalist connecting you to the right resources, I would definitely plug the Mo Fishing app. The MDC has an app. It's called called Mo Fishing. You can get it in the app store. So not only can you purchase your fishing permit through that app, um, but it also has a whole like database of places to fish, waterways, you know, lakes and rivers and things, places you can fish through different conservation areas. And, and I think it even has some like city lakes, the MDC stocks and stuff like that um, in that app. So you can, you know, type in your location, find those fishing locations that are, are close to you. You got everything you need right there. I think it also includes... Um, Fish ID. I was even going to yeah. say, gosh, you and me are like psychic connection today. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So Different species that you can find there, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really, really cool app. Um, just a great resource to, to keep in your pocket this summer. And um, we also, on the flip side, have the Mo Outdoors app as well, which helps find 
other locations, like hiking locations, like different ways that you can get outside and recreate in in nature just in general. And uh, the cool thing about that is that um, it has specific info on each conservation area as well as far as like, hey, this is what you can see here. And this are these are the guidelines and this is where it's located. And oh, yeah, we blah, get blah, blah. that's another one of our top questions is people come in to the nature center and they want a map of all the conservation areas in the state, which sounds like a great idea, but that would be a really big map. So whenever possible, we, we point them to that Mo Outdoors app because you can, you know, filter, look by county, look by activity. Yeah. So yeah. definitely another great one. There are more than a thousand conservation areas in Missouri. So yeah, that would be a lot. <laughs> Which is awesome. I think our statistic is no matter where you live in the state, you're you're about 20 minutes from a conservation area because there's so many. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Either, from from public land, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, you're close. You're close to somewhere where you could get out and and enjoy enjoy the natural resources. So, what's your favorite thing to do in the summer, Sarah? Oh, I uh, I I gotta say. Be on a river. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's a popular one because you know it's you. You got to cool off. Yeah, it just yeah. What I mean, you like to float. How, how could you want anything else? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I grew up floating um, down in in southern Missouri, and I I just feel so fortunate that my parents took me to do that. You yeah. Know? And and that's a place where I feel very comfortable, and I just I love it. I like being on the water too. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite river you like to float? <laughs> Um, you know, I can't, I I can't tell you because then you would take it. <laughs> no, um, that's not true. I'll I'll share. I would say a personal favorite for me is the eleven point. Oh, okay. Um, I was thinking about telling people, you know, on the podcast if they were interested in floating and things like that, and and you have to kind of weigh your your objectives or kind of what you want out of the float because the 11 point is great but if you know anything about the 11 point it is very far down there it is oh really down in southern missouri yeah um so, so it's quite a travel it is yeah i mean you know for me here in, in central missouri um it's it's a it's a it's a ways you know if i'm only looking to go for a day or something like that. I'm probably not going to go that that far. But. Right. But the, Oz- the Ozarks in Missouri are so beautiful down there. Yeah. Just the scenery, the different habitats that it hosts with like the glades and. Oh, absolutely. The bluffs mm-hmm. and the springs on, on a lot of those rivers down there. Oh, just so cool. I uh I've only floated a few times. What? Um, I know. I'm actually not that of an experienced Oh, we gotta get you out there. But I have really, I have really enjoyed it, and that's where I have to credit MDC. um, That we have so many, the the events fill up very, very quickly because they're so fun and they're so popular. But, um, and not only MDC does this, but so does Missouri State Parks. I believe DNR staff do um, uh, floating programs Mm -hmm. and teach people, and they supply everything. You know, you can learn how to float different uh, kayaks and. Uh, different styles and canoes. I even tried out a paddleboard at one of our events. Oh, it was so fun. Nice. Yeah, it was It was a blast. And so we host those programs all throughout the summer, correct? Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, I have one coming up by the time, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be over. But I do have a women's paddling coming up at the end of June. So we're going to um, meet on Friday and kind of go over 
basics of kayaking and and make sure everyone's comfortable and then saturday we're gonna do a river float so oh wow that'll be an amazing experience i'm really i'm really excited yeah that'll be great and i love the fact that we do um a lot of women focused programs as well Mm -hmm. because um women have been a neglected demographic in the outdoor space and we want them to feel comfortable and know that you know nature is for everybody and i love that we do um those women focused programs to get them connected with nature. I think that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. Sarah, thank you so much for being on this episode with me. You've taught me a lot, and I know that you (laughs) have taught our listeners a lot. And I would love to have you on again and talk some more about some common questions we get from the public later on in the year. Oh, yeah. You know, people never run out of questions. That's that's absolutely (laughs) true. And the thing is, we are here to help. So I appreciate your your time today. Thank thank you so much. Thanks again to Sarah Easton for joining me on this episode. I will definitely have her back to answer your questions. So be sure to send us a message. Log on to missouriconservation.org slash natureboost to email us questions and send us topic suggestions. And if you send me your shirt size, I'll even mail you a Nature Boost t-shirt. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation, encouraging you to get your daily dose of the outdoors.